You have an aquarium, John? Yeah, I'm trying to do the whole like orange and blue scheme behind me where I have like my aquarium right there and then I have a weird creepy orange light back there. Salt water? No. Everyone needs a creepy orange light. No, it's not salt water. (laughs) Um, It is not salt water because that crap's expensive and you got to keep the temperature of your house like very consistent. I wish I could. I tried that for a number of years. It was an expensive venture that I I blew thousands of dollars my senior year before going into college on saltwater fish and mm. and my my I had a hermit crab and uh, I, one day I'm watching one of my clownfish go by the bottom and he's kind of chilling. My hermit crab just like jumps up, uh, jumps off the side of the tank, comes descends on top of the clownfish, <laughs> clamps onto him, drags his ass down, and just starts eating him alive. And I'm like. I'm done with this. I'm done with this. We had a uh, one of those uh, blue tanks, you know, Dory from the Finding Nemo. Oh yeah. Movie. Nope, nothing in the noggin. I don't know what it was with these things. They kept like committing suicide and jumping out of the tank. And we had one that was quite big. They're trying to get home. Yeah. When it jumped out, I knew my daughter was gonna be horrified, so she came downstairs before I had a chance to get a replacement one for it. And she's like, "Where did Dory go?" It's like, "Oh, uh, she wasn't feeling well. We took her to the vet." Yeah, and then and then a couple of days go by, and I bought a replacement one, put it in the tank. She's like, "Why is she smaller?" I was like, "Well, you know, she was at the vet. She wasn't feeling well. She lost some weight, <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> it was it worked. She she bought Until it. Until just now, now. No, <laughs> yeah. no, it's therapy. <laughs> well, I told her the truth maybe a year or so ago. She's like, "I can't believe you did that to me." Now it's ninety five dollars an hour. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Black Hills Information Security, talking about news, where it's not, or it's a news story show that just doesn't talk about news. No, that's actually exactly what we do. We just, we just talk about the news here. I was going to come up with something plithy, but I failed. So we've got a handful of people on. I think we have uh, Dale is on. Who else do we have? Uh, we have Ralph. We have Monopixel, and of course Ryan, who I'm constantly looking for a reason to fire, or at least give him a hard time. He makes this all work and makes it look good, so hats off to him. So we have a handful of stories today, and Ralph, do you want to kick off and talk about miracles? Oh, yeah. So I actually read about this article uh, a couple days ago before I kind of read into this full uh, CVE disclosure, and it's kind of interesting. I have a Mac M1, so I was ultra interested in it at the uh, at the time. So this vulnerability is a covert channel vulnerability in the Mac Apple Silicon chip, okay? So this is very specific to Apple's new M1 chip, right? This is what they're using in their new Apple uh, MacBook Pro and the new MacBook Air and a couple of the other lines of Apple laptops. So what is this vulnerability? It's not really a vulnerability, kind of. This is a covert channel to send data between two applications. And the author of this vulnerability wrote a very detailed FAQ, and I implore you to go look it up. But the too long didn't read is, it's not really a vulnerability. Can you use it to steal private information? No. Can you use this vulnerability to take over my computer? No. Can you use this vulnerability to do a lot of stuff? The answer is no, or please stop. <laughs> so it's... Uh, it is a vulnerability because it does break the 
constructs of the systems, uh, the operating system security model, but it, there's not really much you can do with this vulnerability. There's no patch. There's nothing Apple can do to fix this because it is inherently kind of part of the chip. The other big things is that this, I would say security researcher is more of a developer, but I'm going to you know, say security researcher at this point because he did find this vulnerability. He wasn't looking for this vulnerability. He was looking to develop Linux or up, upstreaming or porting Linux for Apple M1. And he found this undocumented issue, thought it was an issue, posted it and asked people questions about it. Come to find out this was an unintended what do you call it, vulnerability and kind of disclosed it at that point. And so no responsible disclosure because he was really just trying to make Linux work on M1. My, my favorite FAQ section, because I did read like all of it, uh, the <laughs> FAQ was, so what's the point of this website? Poking <laughs> fun at how ridiculous InfoSec clickbait vulnerability reporting has become lately. Just because it's a flashy website or makes news doesn't mean you need to care. Plus, if you've read all the way here, congratulations. You're one of the rare people who just doesn't retweet based on the page title. Yes. No, I thought it was pretty good. Interesting. That's about as far as it goes. Not really much of a kind of like, hey, how could I use this to hack my buddy or whatever it is? Or I don't know, whatever you do with these security findings or vulnerabilities. So, yeah. Yeah. So that one is that was pretty good. And then you had another one too, another story that you wanted to talk about about the VMware vulnerability. So oh. spend some time patching. Uh, oh yeah, patching. Well, I think uh, I need the link for that one. Yeah, sure. I'll uh, I'll send you the link right now. So a lot of people have talked about this one. So for everyone who doesn't know, VMware has been hit with another remote code execution vulnerability in vCenter again in vCenter and again in another plugin. Again, on on authenticate, it's like <laughs> it's just a never ending again of what it is, must be. But uh, the Art Technus uh, article is talking. You know, this is a serious vulnerability. It can affect a bunch of people who are running vCenter, and then they uh, show weirdly enough the Shodan map of all these vCenters that are publicly exposed. Why? Why? Please don't do this ever. Don't put your vCenter publicly exposed. But a quick rundown of what the vulnerability is. There is a Inside of vCenter, there is a bunch of modules, and vCenter now is all web-based, so you just access it via the web browser. And there are a bunch of built-in modules. One of them, in this case, is for vSAN. vSAN is a clustered storage product that VMware comes out with, and it's actually built into ESXi and built into vCenter. And what this allows you to do is pretty much put a bunch of... SSDs mostly into your server, and you can cluster them together to make one giant storage, and it works all perfect, right? That's great, but this plugin inside of vCenter was susceptible to a unauthenticated access. So you can just pretty much plug in a URL and for this vCenter, and you will be able to communicate with that module unauthenticated. So the remote code execution comes along because this is Java-based, and that Java web server that it's pretty much running is it is vulnerable to a what is it java reflection okay so that you can use that to then take that one step further and get remote code execution on the system so this is a full alert patch now this primarily would be used by i'll set up the example so let's say you have a attacker ransomware for example they might target this specifically as soon as they get internal access to elevate privileges very quickly. And something like vCenter would be great to get access to because now that's all 
I'm assuming you have vCenter running, you probably have all your servers in that environment. And so you could just pretty much take over the whole thing. So bad for business. I've got two things about this. One, uh, the thing that's interesting to me, and you, you'll see this in like long kind of cycles in security, is the fact that we had a, you know, a string of VMware vulnerabilities, and this is a new one. That's very common in the security industry. It is common because what happens, you find one and then other researchers show up and it becomes like a dinner bell and everybody's going to cluster on VMware for a while. So I expect that there'll probably be some more of these coming out. So be, be aware. The second thing that I want to ask everybody about is why 9.8? Like this is one of those <laughs> things about CVSS scores where they're always like, well, this particular uh, vulnerability has a CVSS score rating of 6.725 er like, what? what the hell? Why do we have a niner? But like the, the 9.8 bugs me because it's like, did they did did it not stick the landing? Is that the reason <laughs> I, why it gets a 9.8 instead of a perfect 10? Come on. I have one guess. And this is because I couldn't find a full POC for exploiting uh, it. So maybe that's it. Maybe just, you know, it doesn't have the full easy exploit. Like yeah. <laughs> getting the access is, you know, unauthenticated. But what, what you're doing is you're communicating with vSAN and you can ask vSAN things like, are my hard drives good? It's like, you know, is this data store working, right? So there's a lot of that. So now you need to take it one step more further with the Java reflection and maybe there's no POC. See, that's why they didn't do it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, right? But maybe. usually, whenever they give a score that high, like someone actually demonstrated remote access, they probably did. Yes, it's yes. still there's somebody out there in a white lab coat with a with a you know a little notepad. It's like, hmm, yes, I don't like the fact that they use tabs instead of spaces. I'm docking them two tenths of a point. Uh, I just, <laughs> you know, it's, well, it's like so. the teacher. It's like the teacher who doesn't want to give you 100, percent so they give you 99. percent Yeah, I hate that teacher. The teacher's an ass. But uh, but no, th these particular vulnerabilities, I think the Shodan thing. Now, I want to I poke on that a little bit because you said don't ever do that whenever you're disclo disclosing a vulnerability. I, I, I don't know. Part of me thinks that that's important because that makes no, no, reporters no. look at it and be like, this is actually bad. It's used everywhere. No, no, no. What I was saying, don't expose vCenter publicly. Oh. Right? Like, don't do that. Like, don't, you don't need to be on the map for any reason. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. Because I thought you were complaining about the researchers showing the Shodan query, which isn't that hard of a Shodan query. No. Which there are I, people I I'm like, what's wrong with Ralph? It's not VMware. No, I don't, I don't care that they were demonstrating the impact that these are publicly exposed, right? So they could be, that, that's that remote code or that remote, but internet exposed attack like someone could take over this over the internet because all you need is access over 443 you don't even need to log in so yes that makes sense but exposing it over the internet period is the dumb dumb idea don't do this okay and uh, yeah I, I i do wonder i mean i can absolutely understand why that happens because we run into it every day at bhis it's like you did this dumb thing oh you found it did you <laughs> we didn't think you would it's like we ran a freaking port scan you know what that does right like we're gonna pull that up it's gonna be something that we're gonna find you use the host agent i, I we changed the host agent <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's okay so let's talk about other dumb things can we talk about nuclear flashcards here for a second i don't know who put this put this one up i think that was noah oh okay yeah Noah, I mean, do you want to talk about this one a little bit because i i vetoed this one and then you brought it back and it it's kind of funny and it brings up some things. It's just, it's mostly as a funny because, you know, we all need a little humor in our life. 
I mean, it pretty much reads exactly how the title reads. It's about all you need to know. But they found these things, I can only assume, on, like, services like Quizlet or stuff that, like, high school teachers are using for, like, flashcard apps. And it basically had in it, like, the locations of, like, where is this thing for the nuclear missile stored? And what do you do with the nuclear missile in this situation? And, <laughs> and then like, they were publicly publicly available, so people were able to see this. But it would literally have things like, where is this nuclear missile stored? It's oh, it's in building three A. Oh, here's a here's a map. Just just in general, especially if you're working with nuclear missiles, don't like, do this. Just pay a little money and don't do this. Yeah, yeah, just don't do this. I wonder if they pass the exam though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder how many people who don't work with nuclear missiles pass the exam. That's that's my question. That's I don't know if you saw a couple of the articles that came out like over the past couple of years about just how badly managed the United States nuclear arsenal is and how morale is just crap in this. I, I don't think this would surprise many people, but this gets into like that whole entire what people are like, what we want you to do is we want to do a threat model. Uh, we want you to do a threat model for how someone would break into the base. And they have this idea. It's like, well, you know, the, the Russians are going to do this. They're going to come up with zero day. They're going to implant something in supply chain. They're going to do this. It's like, actually, uh, you just, one, you just you, come back and say, hey, so according to your flashcards, you're running Windows 95. And if you don't know the username and password, you just hit cancel and it will log you in. That's what your flashcards say. <laughs> That's one of the things that I hate about threat models, because I'm going to get on that goddamn soapbox right now is you know the threat model is basically only as good as the creativity of the person that tries to dream up what the threat model actually is as well what i thought was interesting about that is that it, it sounded like what what happened is the soldiers were trying to train for this they need to memorize all this stuff and so they pretty much just went to the tech that the government wasn't offering right yeah <laughs> You know, they yes, they had physical flashcards and whatever, but they wanted to share these. And, you know, they just, you know, at the end of the day, there is a simple solution. Roll something like that out internally so that you can work on it in other ways. Right. So the so, you know, and I've done a lot of training for the military and, and unclassified training, like computer security training. And they are constantly sharing with each other. Right. I mean, that's just the way they roll. It's like you go through a class and they take notes and there's almost always in a room of 25 students. There's going to be the designated person who's going to take notes during the training because everyone else is hung over and everyone else is sleeping because they got like some time off from regular work so they could do some training. So it's very, very common for you to see that type of training thing where someone creates flashcards or back in my day, it was just an Excel spreadsheet. It was like a study guide. So you see that again and again. By the way, is that a Gavin Bilstein black box behind you? That is its signature edition, and it's bold. It's, it's a bold, bold okay. signature edition black box. <laughs> that is fantastic. I know there's some yeah, people that are like, um, what is um, that? It's a that looks edition. a little phallic is what someone said. And uh, it is the signature edition, and it's uh, Galvin Belson. And uh, yeah, go look it up. Silicon Valley, pretty funny. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. The bear is all, another great skit or st- section from that movie or that TV show. Was the bear is sticky? Uh, that was one of my. Favorites. So, that's that's how I live at BHIS. It's like I mention something and then I come back like two weeks later, and uh, it's like, what the hell have you been doing? What you told us to do? I didn't say do any of this, right? Like that's not how this went. Speaking of bad things, uh, moving on. Cyber insurance firms start tapping out as ransomware continues to rise. So a little bit of background. Whenever you're talking about ransomware and insurance, if we go back, let's say, 15, 20 years ago, 
um, a lot of companies that would start getting cyber liability insurance, because that's really whenever it first started, they literally started using cyber li- liability insurance in lieu of a security program. You would have executives would be like, well, we don't need to spend any money on security because we got insurance for that. If we get hacked, we'll just file a claim. And that's kind of how it went for a handful of companies for a long time. And then a bunch of the insurance companies started locking that down and basically saying, look, you can't just get cyber liability insurance and then do nothing to secure your organization whatsoever. So like, for example, BHIS, when we get cyber liability insurance or an umbrella insurance or just standard tech insurance for errors and emissions, we have to submit a whole bunch of our policies to be reviewed by this uh, insurance company to make sure that we're operating within some level of security risk. So that's how it ran for a long time. And then you got into like WannaCry, Petya, Not Petya, and Mondelez happened. And with Mondelez story, that's really interesting. Mondelez is a company out of Ukraine. Their insurance company refused to pay out the, uh, the, the insurance money based on the attack for a simple reason that it was, it was basically an act of war. Since the exploit code came from the NSA and it was weaponized and it was used probably by the Russians, then they basically said, we're washing our hands of this. It is something associated with, with, with an act of war and we're not going to pay out. And the point I'm trying to make on that particular part of the history of where the story sits is insurance companies love to come up with reasons to not pay out on insurance premiums. This should not be a surprise to any you of you. don't say. I yeah, have no it's idea. Not, this should not surprise you. So it almost appeared that within the last few years, especially with ransomware, that companies started taking the tact again of basically saying, well, we're going to try to do our best for security, but if we get hit by ransomware, we're just going to put in an insurance claim. Well, insurance companies are getting sick and tired of paying out insurance policies based on ransomware. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this article makes it look like there's insurance companies just like AXA is basically saying the company would stop reimbursing French companies for ransomware payments to cyber criminals, like flat out, full stop, they're not paying. And there'd be a number of reasons for that. One, they just don't want to pay. Two, the other reason is they didn't want to make payouts that were basically going to criminals and perpetuating cybercrime. So this is interesting. And I think that that history is important because I believe that where this is heading is you're, you can talk about certification, accreditation, GDPR, compliance issues all day long. But ultimately, what's going to be happening in the future is security is going to be driven by insurance companies. And they're going to be saying, look, if you want us to actually cover you, these are the things. You must be this tall with your security policies and your procedures and your implementation before we'll actually pay out. So I think that that's where insurance, are co- or insurance companies are coming. And I also believe that with AXA and other insurance companies that are choosing not to pay, I think that their actuary tables and their risk registers, they've realized that they're broken. And usually what an insurance company does, if they don't know what the overall exposure is to the insurance company, they just stop paying until they can get better data. So what do you all think of this uh, particular story? This one, um, I know this one refers to AXA over in Europe. Somewhere in the France, West? yep, specifically yes. French companies. Yeah, but the insurance – now, I, I recall reading somewhere last week or the week before that the insurance company that covered the pipeline has kind of unofficially stated that they're considering not covering ransomware any, anymore either. Well, and right now, the premiums uh, – I love this article. It says, 
the insurance premiums have already gone up by 22% since 2020. <laughs> so it's, it's, so this is one of those things. Somebody's going to pay for it, right? And a lot of times people just, the oh, insurance company is going to cover it. And no, the insurance companies aren't in business to lose money. They're going to make sure <laughs> that they're going to be covered. Well, what do you think was going to happen? Ransomware keeps happening and just, you're just going to keep getting insurance payouts? I mean, car accidents are up, right? Insurance premiums are up, right? Pandemic happened, insurance premiums, we got discounts? I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> we, it's not a surprise that the more of these uh, ransomware attacks we see, the, the more that insurance is going to go up. It's a business. Yep, that's right. I, I do look at how this is, for a lot of companies, it seems like this is their entire response to ransomware. They're just like, yeah, hey, that's the messed up part. This will hopefully kind of break that trend and there'll actually be some actual protections against that kind of stuff. They'll actually be more invested in doing that. Okay, Ben has brought up that my camera's autofocus is weird. And yes, I don't know why my autofocus keeps doing that today. But I don't think, Ben, that this is going to be another PCI or another compliance. I think what you're going to see most likely from insurance companies is every single insurance company is going to have their own specialized package that they're going to want to receive from companies to make a decision of whether or not they're going to pay you. The other thing that you're going to start seeing is you're going to see insurance companies put in a clause that basically says point blank, the amount that we pay out will be determined based on us doing an assessment after the, the attack. So imagine this, if you get an attack, right? A compromise hits your organization and you did almost everything right, then you're probably going to get like a 100% insurance payout. If you are a company that gets compromised, and you have done nothing to secure your environment, then maybe they're only going to pay out 25% of the ransomware. So I, I think that you're going to see a lot of that actually communicating in the industry as well. And yeah, I have no idea why this thing. It actually looks like one of those scenes in movies where someone's like stoned out of their mind, and it's like zooming in and out constantly. <laughs> it's maybe if I turn up the light. It's the Blair Witch Project in your house. It is the Blair Witch Project <laughs> in my house. So this is I'm eventually going to get a better camera in here after Wild West Hacking Fest, but all my good camera gear is in that crate right over there, getting ready to get oh. shipped off. So that did not help at all. So, But John, do you think that um, – so when your company does get breached and the insurance company then does, comes to do their investigation, my experience has been that if they can find any little thing wrong – Oh, we're not covering because you didn't do X, Y, Z type thing. Now, how sticky do you think they're going to be uh, when it comes to that? I don't, I don't think they're going to be all that sticky. And, and the reason why is if it, it's kind of like the ransomware dilemma. With most ransomware cartels or syndicates, if you pay them, you get your data back. And that is basically the way it has to work. And they're also, in some ways, keeping each other honest. Because if you have a ransomware group that goes around and basically says, hey, pay up, you pay, and then you don't get the data, then what's going to happen is you're, you're going to tell other people, well, I paid and I didn't get my data back. And they pay out at some level because... Uh-oh. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't pay. Like he didn't pay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we lost the satellite. The, micrometeors. Micrometeors, that's right. <laughs> that's that's what happens when you drive satellites while drinking. Oh, he's back. Great. How long have I been monologuing now? 15 oh, seconds only only 30 minutes see that's my that's my satellite dish reacquiring it just jumps up to a new bunch of satellites so but basically the point of what i was going to say is the insurance companies have to pay uh, not legally required to do so but they have to pay because if the word gets out that they're refusing to pay then people will just stop getting the insurance 
So that was a fun one. Ready to um, move to Japan? Another one. Yeah, let's move on to Japan. Various Japanese government entities had data stolen in a cyber attack. And this is this is weird to me because I think that ransomware has basically sucked up all of the oxygen in the room whenever we're talking about computer security. I mean, hell, we're sitting here talking about it on, you know, talking about news, which I'm always like, we're not going to talk about ransomware. And it's like, no, we have to now. We have to. But it's almost like we have given up or stopped thinking about like industrial espionage style attacks or ransomware style attacks where they steal a whole bunch of data and they threaten to release it publicly. And I I don't know if it's that these types of attacks have stopped or if these types of attacks are just not the interesting attacks because ransomware is sexy. Whenever you're talking about like, 76,000 email addresses of employees and business partners were leaked along with data and the ministry's internal email and internet settings. It's like, that isn't as sexy as, boy, the pipeline that supplies 45% of oil and gas to the eastern side of the United States is shut down. So do you think that the attackers have kind of pivoted and moved to ransomware? Or do you think that that's just what's actually permeating in the news constantly? I don't know. I feel like it's like, look over here. Oh, no, no, no. Don't worry. Nothing bad is happening over here, right? I think it's kind of the uh, the soup du jour kind of thing. I mean, it's the easy route right now. And why spend all the effort in, you know, this major sexy hack when you can just fire some, some malware and somewhere and collect ransomware and sit back and, you know, go on vacation wherever you're going. And it seems like the easy way right now because it works. To the well, easy the payouts money. are almost... The payouts are almost instantaneous too, and and attackers like that, right? I just really wish that the attackers would get back into crypto mining where they would sit on a network for like months and years and just do the long payout rather than shutting things down. But that isn't as good as for business for us because one of the things that we talk about, a lot of people that own pen testing companies, is 2020 for many companies was a record year and it shouldn't have been with COVID. This year is shaping up to be a record year and it's all basically fueled with ransomware hitting at the cadence that it's hitting it's really really insane just how bad it's actually how bad it's getting but how good it is for business and that's not a good thing it's like bhis i want to grow organically i don't want to be like things are great because everything sucks for everyone Um, that's just not what we want to do i think that's the last story anybody else have anything else to add we could talk about the uh, new what is it nobellum is that how you pronounce that nobellum nobellum so Microsoft is looking into oh the HTML yes with yeah, the ISO yeah, yeah. in it yeah New sophisticated email based attack this is pretty interesting I like phishing I hate building fishes but I like phishing anyways so they're delivering this new payload and the way it works is this is supposedly the group is a nation state sponsored attack sophisticated attack right. And what they're doing is they are building a phishing email, adding a attachment HTML using HTML smuggling to usually drop a ISO file. Inside that ISO file, we have a malicious link. They're using Cobalt Strike and Adele, also doing some possibly a reply like RTF file document encrypted with a more malware, right? This is a whole kind of walk down in this blog of them investigating it. One service that they were using to kind of spread this is Firebase, which which is uh, Google's, best way to describe it, Lambda-style web service, right? 
And so they're using Firebase to spread the malware and deliver that. And what's also interesting about their attack in, in this article that kind of go into it is that they're testing out things. So it's not just like they sent one attack. They'll try different things in small segments to see how effective they are and to try to get metrics at like what's working. And then they'll make slight iterations and like they're always tweaking their cycle. So their cycle is just not once I do. It's not rinse and repeat. It's rinse, adjust, you know, come back and look at it, look at it again. But that so. isn't that the way it's always been. That's the thing that's always bothered me. Right. You know, whenever people talk about certain threat actors is they like to say, well, this threat actor uses these 15 techniques and uh, like this article actually going through and talking about the different things that they do is something that I wish we would talk about more in this industry where they try something, they fail, they try something else, they fail, they try something else, they fail, then they get through. And this is probably one of the first articles that actually talked about that particular, you know, cyber kill chain of lots of failure trying to be successful and getting in. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty good. I know a buddy of mine is already working on replicating things like this so that we can do them on engagements as well. And like, it does help, right? Because this simulates more of what, you know, more advanced threat actors are doing. And some of these pieces will get reused. And don't be surprised if, you know, you don't see this in more attacks, little pieces of that, right? Yeah. And I, I really hate the signatures, though, of this. Like mm -hmm. one of the signatures is, uh, is it coming from constant contact? And does it <laughs> what was it? Here we go. One of the signatures, it says, you can run this query in Microsoft 365 Security Center. And it basically says URL domain is r20.rs6.net. Not that they wouldn't change that, right? Never. And then it's like, we're sender mail front, uh, from domain is constant contact. And then the from domain is usa.gov. That is a very brittle signature for this, right? Because the attackers yeah. aren't going to reuse that exact same thing again and again. All of this to an advanced attacker is now burned. Okay. So you can't reuse any of this. It's like it just, and if you have advanced infrastructure, you're monitoring for any of these search things to come up on a blog or anything writing about, right? Because this is immediately all, it's all like in the history. You don't use this anymore. And, right? and I guess there's some value there too, right? I mean, there is some value in basically saying you can run this query to see if you're screwed. <laughs> yeah it's not going to protect you for the future but you can no. look in the past and see just how bad it was for you yeah anyway it's just an interesting attack and kind of an interesting read at you know dissecting nation state or possibly nation state level attacks so yep. cool stuff very cool i do look forward to the day that we see an article that says unsophisticated phishing attack <laughs> leads to compromised <laughs> like and then under that like dave an accounting clicks link <laughs> the link was broken and then dave in accounting decided to call the customer support li number listed in the email and the attacker walked him through how to download the malware from dropbox and how to get it to work by disabling his antivirus <laughs> this was the lamest attack in the history of all hacking but it worked thanks to dave in accounting <laughs> don't be dave right you know what's, what's, what's that so john is, is, that I've, is I've, some that's an that's actually an attack that I did back in the day when I was still pen testing. And like my whole entire campaign was so fundamentally broken. Like the web server wasn't working. I mistyped the URL. The malware was triggering on the antivirus. So that's me. So that I'm afraid that someday someone's gonna be like, this appears to be the APT John Strand attack last seen in 2009. It was horrible then, and it's horrible now. Yeah. <laughs> 
what's sad though is that what you described is actually works. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it People still works. It. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. It does. It's it's amazing what people will do. Especially the other one too is the two factor one that always gets me right. That this one works way more than it ever should, and it, it's where you get access to somebody's account via his password. They have two factor. You're like, what am I going to do? I, I I can't convince them to do this, which possibly you could, but you just totally keep logging can. in totally and send can. them. You keep sending them push notifications, and eventually they get frustrated and just click yes. Like if this would stop, and that works way more than it should. Man. It's like an unsophisticated like, <laughs> attack as well. Yes, so. it's super. Uh, I don't know. If you ever get a push notification you weren't looking for, that means your password is probably compromised. Yeah, more than likely. Yep, more than likely. All right. Well, folks, are we ready to wrap it up after a long holiday weekend? Sure. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming, everybody. And we'll be back tomorrow, I guess, since no, that's we, our cadence. Monday, are we taking Monday. tomorrow off? Yep. We're going to do Monday. We're doing we'll just see you next yeah, once a week. Once a week. Once a week. Sounds good to me. Okay, that's it. I need to kill this camera.